Today, we continue our uh, systematic study of the book of Matthew. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I know that I have enjoyed uh, our time in Matthew uh, thus far. And I just, you know, and I just enjoy uh, the simplicity of going uh, verse by verse and seeing what the Lord has for us and uh, making application to our lives. Uh, I pray it's been enjoyable and enriching for you uh, as well. Last week, we began chapter 13 of the book of Matthew uh, by looking at the parable of the sower, uh, or as I mentioned, some of your Bible headings may call it or refer to it as the parable of the soils. Um, The verses in in chapter 13, they are known as the kingdom parables. Uh, The kingdom parables. For uh, in this chapter, there are seven different parables that Jesus identifies that all describe aspects of the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to look at at three of those parables in hopes to better understand the kingdom of heaven and what Jesus was teaching to the multitudes. And so we're going to begin today in chapter 13, verse 24. With the parable of the wheat and the tares. Will you please uh, stand as we read just the first of these three parables that we'll be covering today, verses 24 through 30. Today's message is entitled, Kingdom Counterfeits. And we'll see why uh, that title uh, as we go through this portion of Scripture. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. uh, Jesus is is speaking, he says, uh, and it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would lead and guide our time of study uh, this morning. Lord, that you would make uh, right uh, just the understanding and the interpretation of your word, that we might uh, understand it and make application to our lives. And Father, I know that uh, we're going to be covering three parables today and. And one of them you give us the details to, you give us the answer, but the other two uh, we kind of have to figure out. Uh, and so, Lord, we just pray that we would rightly divide your word. Lord, we pray, I pray that I would rightly divide your word. I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech as uh, we go through this portion of Scripture. And I pray that your spirit would just speak to our hearts as we look at these parables and the characteristics of your kingdom. And so, Father, lead and guide our time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, 
Before we get into the details of this first parable, I'd like to share with you just some good Bible study principles uh, that we're going to use in order to better understand the meaning behind these parables today. Uh, One thing, if you've ever done Bible study, one of the most important things uh, in being able to rightly divide the word and hopefully to help us understand these parables is looking at the context. Looking at the context of what has been going on previously and even what takes place immediately after these parables are shared. Another good practice in interpreting scripture is to make some basic observations. Uh, identify maybe some key words or or phrases uh, that are predominant within the portion of Scripture. Uh, For instance, within uh, chapter 13, uh, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, that that phrase is used seven times. Uh, uh, This would be an important phrase to make note of. It, It tells us really the theme of the entire chapter, that Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. Another important principle is something uh, Bible scholars and, and teachers like to call internal consistency. Internal consistency uh, means that our interpretation of Scripture uh, should remain consistent with the rest of Scripture uh, that teaches us. And so we shouldn't come up with an interpretation that you know, is co- totally contrary to what the rest of Scripture teaches us. Another thing uh, that is useful in understanding uh, these parables, I believe, is something that uh, Bible teachers like to call expositional constancy. Okay, Expositional constancy is a really fancy word that really means something very similar to internal consistency. Okay? It means, basically, uh, that symbolism, okay, symbolism in Scripture tends to be consistent. Okay? For instance, when... Scripture speaks about light, okay? that it is most always symbolic of something good or something godly. And, and in contrast, when Scripture speaks symbolically of darkness, it, it most always is referenced to something that's evil or something that's you know, uh, sinful. And so we see this uh, expositional constancy, the symbolism that uh, is consistent throughout the Bible. And so I want to just throw that out there just to keep those things in mind as we look to gain understanding and and a proper interpretation of the parables before us. Jesus opens up our text this morning in uh, verse 24. uh, Excuse me. uh, Speaking about uh, a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And And there in verse 24 he says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like. And I want to stop right there just before we go any further. I'd like to and look at the idea of what is meant by the kingdom of heaven. The, the kingdom of heaven, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is mentioned 33 times in the book of Matthew. And interestingly enough, it's not mentioned ever again in all of the New Testament. It's, that phrase is only used in the book of Matthew. Okay. Um, however, uh, in other gospel accounts uh, of the same parables that we're going to be s- studying today, the phrase kingdom of God is used. Okay. For instance, uh, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Matthew, as we've read, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. 
But Mark's account of the same parable uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. And then uh, also the, par- the other two parables that we're looking at today, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Uh, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven as his phrase, but Luke, in both of his accounts, he uses the phrase kingdom of God. Why do I bring that up? Uh, just to say, based upon the gospels, gospel writers' interchanging use of the phrase the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, I do believe that these two phrases are... Uh, speaking about the same thing, okay? the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Uh, one suggestion that I do think holds some merit as to why Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God is the fact that, if you recall, Matthew is Jewish and he's writing predominantly to a Jewish audience. Why is that important, you may ask? Okay? Well, the Jews have a great amount of reverence for the name and title of God. And so, it would make sense for Matthew to use the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God, so as to show, not to show irreverence, to constantly be writing uh, the title of God uh, to the Jewish people. And so, we can understand maybe why he uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven, and nobody else uses it. But I do believe it's talking about the same thing, kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The Bible speaks about an actual physical place that we call heaven. The the place that God dwells and where He reigns from. He is uh, in heaven and those who are absent from the body are, are present with Him in heaven. There's that kingdom of heaven. But it also speaks, the Bible also speaks figuratively of God's kingdom here on earth. And it also is identified as the kingdom of heaven. And the point I'm trying to make here is that when Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven, he's not always describing the actual physical dwelling place of the Lord, which we call heaven. Okay? He can be talking about what it will be like for those of God's kingdom here on earth. And so we see in Scripture, when talked about the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, sometimes it's talking about the actual place, heaven, you know, and, and what it will be like when we're in heaven. But also it talks about what it will be like here on earth for those who are part of God's kingdom. The fact that the description of the kingdom of heaven in this parable and the other ones that we're going to look upon today describe, uh, involve a description prior to the harvest. Okay, as we read through, uh, it was describing, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then at the end, he says there's going to be a harvest. Because of that, we realize that what Jesus is talking about here is that he's referring to what it'll be like here on earth. prior to our time in God's dwelling place. And so when he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying it's what it's like now on earth. What can we expect on earth? Not necessarily what we're going to expect in heaven. And this makes sense too as we look at this. There's some good things and bad things mixed in there. We know that in heaven there's no uh, unholy thing will be there. So uh, we know that it's got to be talking about here and now. A description of what it will be like on earth, not the actual dwelling place of God, heaven. Jesus mentions in this parable a man that was a sower, as well as some good seed and a field. Okay? The parable begins very similar to the parable that we covered last week. 
Okay, if you guys were with us last week, you recall that we looked at the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils. And it spoke about a sower and seed, and it, and it spoke about the ground on which uh, the seed was sown. And, and remember that parables would often use things very common, okay, very well known. So it's not a surprise to hear Jesus using agricultural terms yet again to explain this parable. However, there are some differences Jesus speaks of in this parable football, and so we're going to highlight those. The sower sowed good seed in his field, but as men slept, it tells us, uh, we don't know who those men were. Presumably, they were the servants of the sower. An enemy of the sower came in and sowed tares, mixed right in with the good seed the owner of the field had just sowed. What are tares? Some people... I may ask that. What's, what's a tear? Your trans, some of your translations will probably read uh, weed. Uh, there's weeds that are sowed in there. Uh, I was looking up, uh, I have a number of different Bible dictionaries, and looking up what a tear is. And th- according to these Bible dictionaries, the tares are a type of weed that most associate the tares with the bearded darnel, darnel a type of uh, uh, ryegrass, a species of ryegrass, the seeds of which are strong type of poison, actually. Uh, It bears the closest resemblance to wheat until the ear appears. And only then is the difference discoverable between wheat and this darnel, this ryegrass. Uh, Evidently, uh, I was reading up, evidently it grows plentifully in Syria and and Palestine even today. Uh, It's very prominent a weed that grows up. Okay. In the parable, it wasn't until the grain sprouted that the servants of the owner noticed that there were tares mixed in with his grain, with his wheat. And the servants, they questioned the owner whether or not he used good seed and how this could have happened. And the owner, he knew right away uh, that this was the work of an enemy. It continues and it talks about how the servants asked the owner if they should go in and weed out the tares, to which the owner told them not to, in fear that they would damage the good wheat when ripping out the tares, seeing as how many of the roots would be intertwined together as they've grown together and been mixed in together. If they were to pull out the tear, there were potential to to pull out the roots of the wheat as well. And so he said, "Don't, don't pull them out. I really like this parable, okay? Because it's one of only two of the kingdom parables that Jesus actually tells us what everything means. And so we can identify and go through, but I, I really like that the answer is kind of given to us. It's a little bit of a cheat, te- uh, cheat little open book test here with this first parable. So we're going to get rolling, uh, and we're pretty confident we're going to understand this one rightly, okay, and divide this one correctly. Okay, in order to understand the proper interpretation of this parable, we're going to jump ahead. Okay, I know we go through normally systematic verse by verse, but just to jump ahead, because later on in this chapter, Jesus is actually going to explain and identify what all of these things mean to us. And so we're going to jump ahead. We're going to skip verses 31 through 35, and we're going to go to verse 36. Verse 36, it tells us, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus, after speaking to the multitudes in parables and and sending them away, he came into the house 
And, and upon entering the house, his disciples came to him and they asked him to explain the parable of the tares of the field. Okay. I... I made this point last week, but it's worth noting again. I, I'm so thankful for the disciples, okay? I'm so thankful that uh, they came and asked, okay? They obviously didn't understand the meaning of the parable, and, and so they came to Jesus, and they asked him, Jesus, can you explain this to us? Because we don't get it. We don't understand. And I'm very thankful for them, because it gives to us the answer. We get to glean it. But I'm also thankful for it because I believe in, they leave for us a good example. Okay. I think it's worth noting here that there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Okay. When, they, when they didn't get it, okay, it was okay. okay. Jesus didn't blast them and say, you should know this. You know, uh, he explained it to them. And so I think they leave for us just a good example to follow. Okay, the disciples, they, they didn't get it all the time. And, and that's okay. You know, sometimes you and I, we won't get it all the time. And we may come across things that just don't make sense to us. And that's okay. okay but here is the important thing. Okay? When the disciples didn't know, when they didn't get it, they did go to Jesus to sleep, seek clarity. The disciples, they left for us a good example. When we do not understand something, when we don't get it, we should seek the Lord for clarity and for understanding. I think that too many times we, we lack the drive to, to dive a little deeper and to dig in and, and, and investigate sometimes. We come across something we don't understand and, and we just leave it at that. Well, I don't know, I don't get it. And we just move on. And, and I think it's, I can say this in a loving way. I think it's, it's lazy. It's just laziness to, to come across something and, and, and read it and be like, I don't understand that, and then just leave it and move on. Okay? We shouldn't be satisfied with, with a, our lack of understanding. We should seek the Lord and, and ask Him to give us the meaning of things when we don't understand. The disciples, they came and they asked the meaning, and Jesus answers them and explains the parable to them. And I think it's just a good point for us to know. And that if we come across things that we just don't make sense, don't just leave it and, and walk away. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's dive a little bit deeper. Let's see if the Lord might show us and reveal to us, as he did here with the disciples. Well, Jesus does explain the parable, and he begins in verse 37. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Jesus first identified all of the important elements to the parable. The sower, the field, the seeds, the tares, the enemy, the harvest, and the reapers. Looking back... And inserting these known elements into the parable gives to us a better understanding of what Jesus was speaking of. And so, if I may, not that I want to change God's word, but I'm going to go back through and, and paraphrase what Jesus spoke in verses 24 through 30, but to insert the keys, insert the answers, the, the understanding of what these elements are into the scripture so that we might better understand this parable. And so, looking back, at verse 24 through 30, we'll insert these and see what we have. 
Okay? The kingdom of heaven, uh, as it starts in verse 24, which we already uh, understand uh, to be speaking uh, about things here on earth, okay? it's described as such. He says, the son of man, where it says, right, the, the so man who sowed, that's the son of man. The son of man, Jesus Christ, has planted sons of the kingdom all throughout the world. Verse 24. Verse 25, But his enemy, the devil, came in and planted his own children, mixed right in with the sons of the kingdom. After some time, the sons of the kingdom began to produce fruit, and there appeared right with them the sons of the devil. Verse 26, verse 27, The servants don't understand how the sons of the wicked are mixed right in. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't tell us who the servants are. And so, evidently they're... In, unimportant in regards to the understanding of this portion of Scripture. Some people say, well, maybe they're the angels. Well, he said that the angels were the reapers. So, servants are unidentified. I'm not going to try to attempt to identify them. He doesn't make it important, so I won't either. But we do see that the servants don't understand how the sons of the wicked are mixed right in with the sons of the kingdom. And so they came to Jesus to find out what happened. Verse 28, Jesus, the Son of Man, explains how he knew that it was the work of the devil that had done this. The servant said, do you want us to get rid of the sons of the wicked one? But Jesus said in verse 29, no. Because if the servants went in and and took out the sons of the wicked one, it may adversely affect the sons of the kingdom. Verse 30, let both live together until the end of this age, and then I'll send my angels in. We can jump back to verse 40 because then he, he, he breaks down it for us and explains it. Verse 40, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So we see the understanding and the interpretation of this parable. Because Jesus identified for us who and what everything represented, it makes things a little bit easier to understand. Well, what do we learn? What do we learn from the parable of the wheat and the tares? What spiritual truth is Jesus casting this parable alongside? We have to remember that a parable is is an earthly story that conveys a heavenly truth. And so what truths, what truth or what truths do we see here in the interpretation of this parable? I think we see a number of things, a number of things which I felt worth pointing out. In fact, five different things that I've noticed and want to bring out in regards to the parable of the wheat and the tares. First, I think it's worth noting that Jesus has planted us, the sons of the kingdom, in this world with the expectation that we would be fruitful. The sons of the kingdom, they represented the good seed that in time produced a crop. God wants His children to be fruitful, to be productive while in this world. Second, we see how we shouldn't be surprised to see the devil so counterfeit amongst you and I. The sons of the kingdom 
are those that would be identified as those in the church. If you're a son of the kingdom, you're part of the church of Christ. When he comes back for the sons of the kingdom, he's coming back for his church. And so uh, the church is made up of the sons of the kingdom. And and we see here that uh, on this side of eternity, we're going to have to endure the, the devil sowing his counterfeit amongst the church. They're in the world, but remember, they're, they're mixed right in with the sons of the kingdom. And I, I believe we see that happening today. Unfortunately, there are people in the world that are mixed up within the church that are counterfeit. They, they look the part... They're just like the tares, right? They, they look the part, and it's hard to tell them apart from the true members of the church, but they're, they're not true believers. The Scripture talks about false believers and, and, and false uh, types of converts. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about all sorts of deceitfulness that, that happens within the church. People uh, that aren't there but are amongst the people. And I believe Jesus uses this parable as a warning to us to to say, hey, look, in the church there's going to be some counterfeit mixed in. And we need to be aware of that. It's it's a warning of sorts. Third, I think it worth noting that Jesus didn't want his servants to go and weed out the tares. Jesus said that he would take care of those things at the end of this age. I think sometimes people take it upon themselves to try and, and to weed out those who they believe are the tares. Why did Jesus not want his servants to do this? Because it had great potential for harm to his sons. And, and that's what happens sometimes. When we take it upon ourselves to weed out who we believe to be tares, we may look at people and we judge them and think, that person's not fruitful. We're gonna, we need to weed them out of the church. But we don't know. Sometimes fruit comes late in the season. The responsibility is not ours. We think that we're pulling up tares, but we may end up pulling up some good wheat. We, we end up causing damage to the church body as, as, as we seek to judge others based upon our limited perspective. And, and it causes a lot of pain, and it causes a lot of hurt, and we can do a lot of damage when we do that. And so I think you can hear we see a warning to not be that way. We can't judge people ourselves and say, that person's a tear, that person's you know, unproductive or a non-believer, they've infiltrated the church. Hey, you know, that's not our responsibility. Yeah, we want to encourage people to be fruitful. We want to encourage people in their walk with the Lord. And, and there's obviously, you know, sometimes people come and we're, it's obvious that they're not in the church. or they, you know, They'll even say, I, I'm not in the church. Okay, they're not a tear, right? They don't look like... The wheat. Those are obvious, obvious things that we say, okay, we need, this needs to be removed from the church. But those things that we don't know, let's leave that to the Lord to figure out. We can cause a lot of damage if we do it on our own. Fourth, I, I think another thing we can see here from this parable is that we see that Jesus will judge the counterfeit, the sons of the wicked one, those that offend and practice lawlessness. Jesus said... They will be cast into the furnace of fire. A very real picture of hell. 
Okay, a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so I, there are people today that say, oh, there's no such thing as, as hell, or, and that's not true. I, I think Jesus was very clear okay, that this is a place. And he's very clear that those people, the counterfeit, will be judged. Fifth and finally, it's, it's just a note I saw, and there's something I noted. We see that those sons of the kingdom, the righteous have awaiting them an eternal home in the kingdom of the Father. Okay? You know what? That's, that's you and I. If we are, are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that's, that's you and I. We are the righteous. Not because you or I did anything worthy uh, to be deemed righteous. Okay? It's not about that. It's because of the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us. Philippians 3.9 uh, speaks about the righteousness that we have. It's not a work of the, the law or the flesh. It's the Lord. It's Christ's righteousness given to us. We are clothed in His righteousness. And because of what He has done for us, we have an eternal home with the Father to look forward to. And I think that can be encouraging sometimes when we find ourselves just worn out or maybe in despair and things that are going on in this world. This is not our home. We have an eternal home with a Father, uh, and we will be with Him. Well, let's take a look at these these next two parables before uh, we run out of time here this morning. Verse 31 and 32 speaks of the next parable. Matthew chapter... 13 verse 31 says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The parable of the mustard seed unfortunately, does not come with its very own interpretation, like that of the previous two. And so we're kind of, he gave us a couple freebies, and now we get to figure it out. We get to come to the Lord and ask him to to help us understand and rightly divide these. We have to figure out the interpretation of this one without the assistance of the disciples going to Jesus and asking for the explanation. So let's just, let's go through. What I want to do is identify Hey, let's, let's identify some key words and phrases and, and elements uh, to this parable and see if we can't understand and unpack this this morning. Okay. He gives to us uh, some key pieces of information within this parable. Again, Jesus refers to a description of the kingdom of heaven okay, and what it's like. Uh, we already noted how this is a description of the kingdom of heaven on earth, what it's going to be like for us now. Uh, and throughout history, really. And this is a description of what we can expect to see here on earth. We're presented with a mustard seed. What is a, a mustard seed? Simple enough, a mustard seed is a seed, of course. And, and we're told that it's a very small seed, in fact. Jesus said it was the least of all the seeds. In other portions of Scripture, he talks about if we would have faith like that of the mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, we'd be able to do great things. We'd be able to uh, take, tell the mountain to, to be tossed into the sea and it would be done. And so uh, it's something that's known for its great insignificance, its great small size, the mustard seed. Okay. 
Some more information that's given to us is that this mustard seed, when it is grown, it becomes greater than the herbs and even grows to the size of a tree. And lastly, we're told about how birds of the air come in and nest inside the tree that was once a tiny mustard seed. Started out so very small. As you can imagine, since we are not told what exactly is the truth, Jesus is casting this parable alongside. There are different interpretations upon what Jesus is trying to illustrate. Really, there are two main schools of thought when it comes to the interpretation of the parable of the mustard seed. Two different points of view. And I want to try and explain those to you, and then I'll tell you what I believe to be the right one. You can disagree with me, that's okay, but I'll try and prove my case. You can prove your case to me after service, okay? One school of thought identifies the mustard seed as the church. The mustard seed is the church. The church will start off very small, like, like that of the mustard seed. It will be Jesus and his 12 disciples that that go out and start the church. It will have a very small beginning. But then, like this mustard seed, it will begin to grow. In fact, it will grow to to a size bigger than anyone would have thought or even expected or suspected that, you know... Jesus said that the mustard seed grows greater than the herbs. It becomes a tree. Uh, a, a tree pictures something that's, that's strong, that's grounded, well-rooted. Those that hold to this point of view say that this is what will happen to the church throughout history, is that it will start very, very small, very, very insignificant with Jesus and his disciples, but then it will begin to grow. That it will it'll grow uh, larger than anyone else expected. It will become like a tree, firmly planted, grounded, and secure. They look at the birds and they believe and they identify the, the birds to represent the Gentiles. Okay? Gentiles that are able to f- come in and to find security and comfort within the church. Really, all nations, these birds represent, they could come in and find shelter within the church and, and find a home within the church. And so the overall interpretation of this parable is that the church will will start out small, then experience incredible amounts of growth, and it will provide shelter and a home for all nations of the world. That's one interpretation, basic interpretation of of this parable. It's actually the traditional one. This is uh, more people uh, through history have likened the interpretation this way. The other school of thought, it starts out similarly, but has a very different interpretation for the latter part. The the other school of thought agrees that the mustard seed, it represents the church. And it agrees that the church will start out very small with the disciples, with Jesus and the disciples, and and then it will begin to grow. Just like they're the same thus far. But here's where the big difference comes in. Unlike the first school of thought that suggests this parable depicts a positive growth of the church and its great impact upon the world, it sees the growth in a negative perspective. This school of thought suggests that the growth 
that the seed experiences is an unnatural growth. That it's growing, going to grow into something that it was not intended to be. That, that, that mustard seed's going to grow into a tree. Uh, mustard seeds are, are usually, they're bushes. For it to grow into uh, the size of a tree and to be able to support birds coming in, they, they say, the people in this school of thought say, that's unnatural growth. Okay, that's, that's not what it's supposed to look like. It's coming something, becoming something it wasn't intended to be. People suggest that this is what is going to happen to the church. That the church will start out small with the work of the disciples. It will begin to experience growth, growth, but then it will grow to a size that it was never intended to be. Okay? People from this school of thought, they believe the birds that represent agents of the evil one that find shelter within the church. So which one's right? They start off very similar, but they take two very different churns in regards to the interpretation of these. Is the parable meant to encourage us? Is it meant to, uh, to show the wonderful growth of the church and, and the positive effects it will have upon the world? Possibly. Or is it a, a warning? Is it a warning to the church that it's going to grow into something it was, wasn't intended to be? Something that grows so large that the enemy is able to set up his agents within it and, and allow them to thrive. Two very different interpretations. I believe that the latter is the accurate interpretation of this parable. And, and here's why. Remember the context in which this parable is shared. Jesus just spoke of how the kingdom of heaven was going to have counterfeit tares sowed right together with the good seed. This, this extra seed sowed in the field would produce more than what the owner of the field had anticipated. Not only did he have his, his wheat grow up, but he also had all these tares growing up within it, right alongside it. And so context would seem to support the idea of, of unexpected growth. Okay? That it's, it's bad or, or dangerous. Okay? Not only does the context lend itself to this interpretation, but so does expositional constancy. Remember that fancy word we talked about at the beginning, expositional constancy. Expositional constancy means, if you remember, that symbolism within the scripture will remain consistent as it's being taught. And so we see here that previously in the parable of the soils, there were some birds. Okay? And, and what did Jesus say the birds were representative of? If you recall, in the parable of the sower in the par- or the parable of the soils, whatever you want to call it, okay? Jesus said that the birds were representative of the evil one snatching away the seed that had been cast along the wayside. And it would not make sense for Jesus to identify birds as an agent of the devil and then turn around and use the same imagery to represent something completely different like the nations of the world, like the Gentiles, without giving us that 
understanding, without explaining that to us. It makes more sense to identify the birds as agents of the devil. Once again, just like Jesus identified them previously, this expositional constancy, symbolism remains the same and constant throughout. That these birds in this parable are agents of the devil. That they've made their way into the church. If this indeed is the accurate interpretation of the parable, which I believe it is, what do we learn from the parable of the mustard seed? The parable teaches us, I, I, I just grabbed two things. It's a very small parable. The parable teaches us that the church will have small, humble beginnings, but as it grows, it will become something it wasn't intended to be. Do we see that today? Is that an accurate description of the kingdom of heaven here on earth? That the church has become something it wasn't intended to be? I think we see a lot of that. There are abnormally abnormally large, seeker-friendly churches out there that seem to be more interested in entertaining people instead of equipping saints. Or they're more interested in promoting self-help and self-confidence than the denial of self or the dying to self. Absolutely this is happening. The church, unfortunately, in a lot of places, has become something it wasn't intended to be. A second thing I believe that this parable teaches us is that it teaches us about the dangers of allowing the church to become a shelter for different kinds of evil purposes. Unfortunately, I believe that this has taken place as well. Church scandals are something that most of us have probably heard of. I know that for my family, when I came to know the Lord, they don't know the Lord. And they were like, you better watch out for the church. They just want your money, and they're going to rob you blind, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. Because, because that's happened, unfortunately. Pastors that manipulate people and, and abuse people to their own selfish gain. And, and we need to be careful. You know, in the Northams, you guys are heading out, and you're going to go find a new church, you need to be careful. There are, unfortunately, churches out there that have become shelters for different kinds of evil purposes. And it's a shame. But it's something that we see happening. We need to be careful. The the church is not immune to these types of evils. Well, the next parable is very similar to this one. Okay, we're going to look at it. It's just one verse, verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. This parable is also speaking of what it will be like here on earth for God's kingdom. This too has two very different interpretations. And, and they're very, it's very similar to the, the parable we just looked at. Okay, so we'll, again, identify the elements involved. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. What's leaven? Leaven is, is yeast. Okay, it's yeast. Uh, it's a substance used to produce fermentation in bread, uh, dough, causing it to rise, the gases. Uh, you know, I won't go into the biological chemistry of it, but you know, basically they produce gases and the bread rises and grows into this big uh, loaf of bread. Okay? 
leaven, when introduced to the dough, will spread throughout the entire piece of bread. Even just a little bit that you stick in just one little side, it will eventually permeate the entire loaf of bread. And Jesus speaks of three measures of meal and a woman that hid the leaven within these three measures of meal. So what does the parable mean? Again, there are two different schools of thought that revolve around the same ideas presented in the previous parable of the mustard seed. One school of thought suggests that the leaven is the gospel and that the measure of meal is the world. This line of thinking suggests that the the gospel will be inserted into the world and and through time will penetrate the entire world and have a a positive effect upon assimilating all institutions and tribes of men into one kingdom of the Lord. That's one interpretation. The other school of thought says that the measure of meal is the church and that the leaven is sin. This line of thinking suggests that, that sin will be inserted into the church and, and it will have a permeating effect upon the church. Again, I believe that the context supports the, the negative implication regarding these, this parable. Consider the evidence. Okay? When considering expositional constancy and the repeated use of leaven in symbolism, It's always used in a negative way. Leaven is not good. Jesus used leaven to picture hypocrisy in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus used leaven to describe false teaching in Matthew chapter 16, verse 12. Paul, the apostle, he used leaven to picture carnality within the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul also used it uh, to describe false doctrine in Galatians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Warren Wearsby, a, a Bible commentator that I like to read from, he states in his commentary that sin is like leaven. It quickly grows, it corrupts, and it puffs up you would be very hard-pressed to find examples of leaven being used symbolically in a good light. They're just, they, they're just not there within the Scriptures. Symbolically, it's always negative. And so to try and look at this parable of the leaven and say, it, it's the gospel effect on the world. It's going to just permeate and, and have this effect, this great influence, the, the growth that's going uh, to be great in the church and all the whole world's going to be affected by the church. Although that's a great thing and I, man, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But is that an accurate description of what we see? No, no right? Okay. Another often used item in symbolism is bread. Okay? In the scriptures, um, in the scriptures, bread is spoken of in, in regards to the Word of God. And when we talk about our daily bread, it speaks about our sustenance that we get from the Word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and so we see here an idea. That the kingdom of heaven will be described as as having leaven, hypocrisy, 
false teaching, false doctrine, penetrating into the bread. What do we? The Word of God. That, that the Word of God is going to be attacked with falsehoods and lies. Leaven is going to get in. And, and I believe that's the point of this parable. This is what this parable teaches us. The parable of the leaven teaches us and, and warns us about the negative influence of false doctrine and false teachers that will try and penetrate the Word of God. This is something that we have seen throughout the church. The Word of God has been under attack for centuries. False doctrines, false teachings have penetrated into the church, and, and we need to be aware of that. We've allowed these things to come in and to affect the Word of God, to change the Word of God, to change the understanding of the Word of God. And I believe that's what this parable is warning us of. As we look at these three parables, they all have, I believe, a similar idea and concept, and and that would make sense, right? He's staying on point. The counterfeit. Kingdom counterfeits. The tares mixed in with the wheat. The birds mixed in with the mustard seed. The, the leaven mixed in to the, the, the loaf, the bread. Hey, those are all descriptions of, of things that are put into things that shouldn't be there. Hey, they're, they're counterfeits. And I believe that's what all three of these are on the same topic. They're all talking about the same thing. If you want to believe that they're good, you can talk to me afterwards. But I, I think the scriptures were very very securely and, and point to us that these indeed are, are not to be looked on positively. These parables are not great things that oh, the, the church is going to do great things and grow great. I'd love that to be true, but I don't believe that's what he's teaching. I believe these are warnings. These are warnings for us to be aware of counterfeits that will be sown and mixed in with the kingdom. Let's finish off. Verse 34 and 35. He says, All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Verse 34 and 35, they speak again about one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. Last week, if you were here with us, we noted three different reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. One reason was uh, to reveal truth. Another reason was to conceal truth from those that would not have ears to hear. And the third reason was to fulfill prophecy. And so we see again here, Matthew's pointing back to Jesus performing par- or speaking in parables in order to fulfill prophecy. We see here again this fulfillment uh, of prophecy is spoken from Psalms uh, 78 verse 2. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Okay, what's the conclusion of this all? Okay, we're not giving any directive. Jesus doesn't give any commands in this except for one. And it's at the very end of verse 43, the last verse of our portion today. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember that Jesus is not speaking about anatomy. Okay, we all have ears, right? He's saying, He who has ears to hear, that are willing to understand and to obey the word, let him hear. Understand it, receive it, and obey it. And so that's what our directive is today. To hear the word, to understand it, 
to obey it, to apply it to our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and uh, just appreciate... uh, I, I appreciate the gift that you've given to us and your word. Lord, how we can glean from it and understand it. And, and even, even though we weren't given uh, the, the cliff notes, so to say, uh, on some of these, I believe your word still gives us the evidence that we need to, to rightly divide it. And we thank you for that. Lord, as we looked at these parables, they were warnings to us. Warnings that the enemy is going to try and do what he can to infiltrate and affect the church. Lord, I pray that you would surround this building and and this body of believers with your angels, that we would be protected from the influence and the attacks of the enemy. Lord, that we would uh, be able to rightly uh, discern uh, false teachings and false doctrines, that we would be able to rightly discern just evil that uh, uh, that may come in, that we might be able to be protected from that. Lord, I pray that you would give to us, um, as we th- consider just the parable of the wheat and the tares, Lord, that you'd give to us an excitement uh, that one day we're going to be with you, okay? that our home is, is with you, Lord, that we're, while we're here and, and we're experiencing uh, battles and experiencing the attacks of the enemy, Lord, that we would find comfort in knowing that we have a home with you, and that'll be a glorious time when we get to gather together with you as a church, uh, as uh, a one glorious body. Lord, where it will be this, this great thing, like some projected these other parables to be. Lord, we know that's going to be on, on the other side of eternity, not necessarily here. And so, Father, we uh, pray that you'd sustain us until that time. May we honor you in all that we do and say, and may we grow in our walk and our relationship with you. I ask this and, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.